to this 3D MedNet interview with Mike McAlpine, Benjamin Mayhew Associate Professor of Mechanical Engineering at the University of Minnesota, USA. Today we will be discussing his work on 3D printing functional materials and devices in the medical field. Hi Mike. Hi Lauren. How are you today? I'm great, how are you? Great, thanks. And thank you for joining us. So your background is in chemistry and you're now in a mechanical engineering department. How did you become involved in 3D printing in a medical context? Yeah, it's a good question because, um, you know, when you think of chemistry and mechanical engineering, they sound like two completely different things. But um, really what it means is that we, we can use our, my knowledge of chemistry uh, which kind of provides me a deep insight into how materials work, um, different how materials respond in different ways to external stimuli and whatnot. Uh, and then in the mechanical engineering department, we have talented students who know how to uh, build instruments. For example, these kind of advanced manufacturing capabilities like the 3D printers that we have, which are custom built. So these are not commercial off-the-shelf 3D printers. We custom build them to handle uh, a range of different materials beyond the hard plastics that uh, are normally printed in a commercial 3D printer. And so, um, you know, that means that we can, it, with our printer, we can process functional materials like electronic materials, biological materials, um, other types of materials in unique ways and process these functional materials into compelling devices, whether it's next generation electronic, biomedical devices. And so, um, you know, it really, having this versatile platform and students who are also come from a variety of different backgrounds, electrical engineering, chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, chemistry, that allows us to really tackle a broad range of problems using this custom-built 3D printer that we have, which is a very versatile tool. Mm. So please could you tell us a little about your group's current research focus? Yeah, so the focus of our group is 3D printed functional materials and devices. And the interesting thing about that is that allows us to have a focus, uh, which is building these custom built 3D printers that can handle a diverse range of materials. But then the versatility of that tool that we build, and which is a unique tool because it can't be easily purchased um, since we do all the custom building ourselves. The versatility of that tool allows us to tackle a broad range of problems. So the problems that we tackle um, can be in the biomedical space or the electronic space or something completely, completely different. Um, there's really a broad range of problems that we can tackle. So it's really nice because we have this core focus, which is this 3D printed functional materials and devices, and yet still we, we don't uh, get constrained or bored uh, by doing that one thing because it can be applied to so many different uh, areas mm. due to the versatility of the tool and the variety of different materials that it can handle. That's great. So in a recent paper, 3D printed bionic nanodevices, you discussed the use of 3D printing to interweave biological and functional materials in order to create bionic devices. Could you outline this process of interweaving and what printing mediums are used? Yeah, so this has been a this is a big challenge in general in material science. And a few years ago, 
we kind of had the, I, that was my first exposure to 3D printing. Um, in 2011, I saw a talk by Hod Lipson, um, who, he's now at Columbia, and at the time he was at Cornell, and he, he uh, gave a talk about these tools called 3D printers. I'd never heard of them before. That was only five years ago, actually. Um, and basically what he showed during his talk is that these tools can make these intricate hard plastic objects, but also he had hijacked one of these tools to uh, put into the tool uh, flour, and he was printing food. And one of the, the funny things that he did was he printed a muffin where if you slice the muffin in half, there's actually a letter written on the inside of the muffin in, in, different, in, in food coloring. Uh, so it was like a... I call it like an espionage or spy muffin. Um, but uh, so I saw this talk, and I was sitting there, and I was just amazed at, at what this tool could do. Again, I think every, probably everyone now has at least heard of 3D printers, although still, you know, not that many people own them because, um, you know, we can get back to that later, but it's not clear what the killer application is. But um, so, but. When I saw this uh, talk, I was I thought to myself, you know, I bet you could instead of hijacking these things and putting flour into it, I bet you could put all kinds of interesting things and materials into these uh, machines, such as functional electronic materials, biological materials, and those sorts of things. And my, I, you know, I sat down with my student when I got back. I was so excited, and I thought, you know, we have to come up with an idea here where maybe. We use the same tool to print biologicals like cells and then electronics in the same tool and then use this three-dimensional aspect of the 3D printer to interweave, as we call it, the biological and the electronic um, in three dimensions. And that's kind of where we came up with this idea of this bionic ear, which is really our kickstart into the 3D printing world. Mm. So you mentioned um, the ear, and what other kinds of products and devices can be created using the interweaving technique? Yeah, so the first... Um, the first demonstration that we did, uh, this bionic ear, so again, this was uh, four or five years ago, so um, what we did is we went out and we bought a $2,000 uh, 3D printer called a Favit Home, um, and I'm not even sure if that company is still in business, but uh, it was a cheap tool, $2,000, and the nice thing about that is um, Instead of buying one of these expensive machines uh, that can handle, do really complicated structures, handle plastics, and print them at uh, fine resolution, we bought a cheaper machine. And the reason for that is because those expensive machines, the expensive 3D printers, can only handle proprietary polymers that the company specifically designs for that printer to print. Mm. And if you put stuff into the printer like we wanted to do, we wanted to put all kinds of weird stuff like cells and nanoparticles and electronics. If you try to put those in those expensive commercial printers, then pretty quickly the printer will jam mm. um, and the nozzle will jam. And the company's not going to fix it for you because you put stuff in there that you weren't supposed to. So, so it worked out well for us because we didn't have to spend a lot of money. We only spent uh, $2,000 to buy a cheaper tool. Now, it was pretty, um, it was kind of a pretty crude 3D printer. I mean, it was just one head instead of multiple heads. 
there was only one, and the resolution of that was was pretty poor. It was kind of a slow, clunky uh, printer, but it got the job done because it allowed us to play with it and customize it and put things like cells into it, put some electronic materials into it, and print out this structure that we call bionic ear, which is basically a cartilage-based organ that we printed where you have an electronic coil that's interwoven throughout the ear, which actually gives the ear the ability to listen to music. Oh, so. wow. <laughs> so um, earlier this year, your team published a paper on the, the recent creation of a 3D printed nerve regeneration pathway. Could you tell us a little bit about this, please? Yeah, so um, after we did that ear project, uh, we thought, you know, this probably has legs. There's probably a lot more we can do with these printers. And so we that's when we set out to build um, some custom printers. And right now, uh, if that ear printer, we call that our first generation, right now we're on our third generation printer. Um, so now we have multiple heads. We can do fine resolutions, lots of different materials integrated together. Um, and so that allowed us to do more complicated projects. And one of the exciting projects, the, the, uh, one of the more recent ones that we published, uh, was this 3D printing for nerve regeneration. And um, that came about because uh, we were talking to someone who said, you know, maybe you should look at the peripheral nervous system and whether you can regenerate nerves and maybe use 3D printing for that. And we sat down and we came up with this unique idea that we hadn't seen before, which is maybe the 3D printer can give you the ability to custom build scaffolds that are personalized to the patient. So if they have complex nerve injury, meaning instead of just a single nerve being injured, let's say you have a branch structure or some sort of complicated branch uh, nerve system, if that gets damaged or destroyed, uh, then maybe you can custom build using the printer a scaffold to regenerate that those nerves, uh, which is in the exact geometry as the nerve structure that was damaged or destroyed. And uh, that, the, that was enabled by using a combination of a 3D scanner and a 3D printer. So um, you've mentioned some, but what are the benefits of using 3D printing to create devices such as these? Yeah, well, the advantage is the customization. So, um, you know, the nice thing about, the thing about 3D printing is it's not necessarily a tool that one would use to mass manufacture um, similar objects because it is a serial process. It writes things, you know, line by line, layer by layer. Um, so it's slower than, let's say, a molding technique or some other type of uh, rapid manufacturing technique. It's a serial process. But the advantage is that you can custom build devices right on the spot Mm. that are customized to the patient. Yeah. And so in this in this particular case, you know, we had the we had a nerve structure which was branching, which as far as we knew had not been in the literature uh, no one has regenerated a branch uh, nerve structure. And so the the reason why we were able to do that is cuz we took something called a 3D scanner which goes in and scans the complicated nerve branch and then we take that scanned information and geometry and fed it into the printer so the printer could print a scaffold that also branched and it branched in the exact way as the original nerve branch. So the advantage of the 3D printer is you get this on the spot customization or personalization to the patient that 
you would never get if you just had sort of a off-the-shelf, um, one-size-fits-all, mass-manufactured device. Mm. So now, more generally, what factors, if any, do you think could limit 3D printing from being used more commonly in the medical field? Well, the... Um, so the thing about the 3D printers is in order for it to really be used on a regular basis, um, you need to have a printer that can reliably on the spot print functional materials. And again, most of the printers that you see now are limited to these hard plastics and those have very limited utility. I mean, there are some cases where having some sort of hard plastic implant is suitable for um, you know a, a fairly simple or crude application, but I think going forward, what we'd really like to have are implants that can respond to their environment or they're functional. Maybe they have electronics built into them. Maybe they can stimulate uh, the regeneration process, or maybe they can um, flex and bend and fold over time um, dynamically, mm. and. In order to do that, you have to go back to the printer itself and you have to ask the question, how do we build a printer that can handle these diverse range of materials, whether it's electronic materials, soft, ultra-soft materials, um, not just hard plastics, but soft, you know, soft polymers, um, and maybe even biological materials, you know, if you want to introduce cells or whatnot that may help the healing process. These things are, are, are difficult to do. Even individually, they're, they're difficult to do, but to have a single printer that can do all of them at once in a, in a way that's as reliable as the commercial printers, you know, the, the hard plastic printing, I mean, that's pretty reliable. You just give it the, the shape you want to print, it prints out the hard plastic, and you're good to go. But these other materials, are, they're more finicky, and they're more delicate, and especially trying to get them all into a single platform is really not that easy. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the, on, the, on the printer development side of things informed by material science in order to really have one of these advanced uh, 3D printers that can do uh, next generation implants and dynamic implants and that sort of thing. So finally, and looking ahead, uh, your lab has worked on a range of medical and bionic 3D printed products, including biomedical, lab on a chip, and electronic devices. Which area of medical 3D printing do you think will see the biggest growth in the next five to ten years? Well, the exciting thing about it is that the 3D printing, I think, can impact so many different areas of medical printing. There's just so many. Um, now, I think in the short term, I think the, the thing that, that's really becoming most useful in the short term are, uh, is using 3D printing for printing these uh, organ models. And what these are are models of organs where, uh, you know, the way, the way doctors and surgeons do their surgery now is they get uh, MRI scans or CAT scans of, of an organ and they get several slices of it and then in their head they have to kind of visualize 
before they do the surgery, you know, how these two-dimensional slices all fit together and what the three-dimensional structure will look like when they actually open the body cavity and kind of do this kind of complicated mind game uh, where they're trying to figure out how to do the surgery in their head from really what are slices rather than the full three-dimensional structure. So one, one nice thing that 3D printing is giving us right now is the ability to print a model of an organ that geometrically is exactly like the structure that exists in the body. You take it, you know, a scan of what's going on in the body, you print something out on the spot that looks exactly like that, and so now the, the surgeon can practice the surgery on that model. So now he has a three-dimensional structure in front of him, uh, a real object, not just two-dimensional slice images, but a real object in front of him which matches exactly what he's going to be doing the surgery on, and he can practice on that. Mm. before doing the surgery itself. And so that right now, I think, in the biomedical space, probably right now that's the most compelling use of 3D printing. But, you know, going forward, what we can do are things that are a lot more complicated than that because you can start to introduce electronics into these biomedical devices in a way that's unintrusive to the body. So you can do all kinds of things like promote regeneration, uh, promote wound healing, uh, have implants that respond to the environment, uh, sort of like Terminator 2 type of of healing in, in the body. And so going forward, you know, I think sky's the limit. I think what we can do is take, you know, everything that's being developed in the computational space with our laptop, cell phones, iWatches, and bring them into the biomedical space and get, you know, high-performance computing in the body to promote regeneration. But maybe even in the future, like we showed with our bionic ear, maybe you can even also use these implanted electronics to maybe even augment the human capabilities as well and give people kind of superhuman capabilities that they didn't have uh, before using this 3D printing approach. That's so interesting to hear and thank you very much for joining us today, Mike.